Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Amen. Thank you, Leah. Well, today we are in our next to last sermon in our series entitled On the Way Home. We've been looking together at uh, the difference that it makes when we know and understand the promise of God to His people in Christ that they are in this life on a journey that ends with home. Knowing this, we've said, makes all the difference when you're making your way through this life with its hardships and challenges and difficulties. But today I want us to see, as we bring this series to a close, I want us to see together what is perhaps one of Paul's most insightful conclusions coming out of the confidence that, he's, that he has, that he's been given, that God has for him a home and that God has a home for all those who believe. A home that involves an old body made new and a home that involves being in the very presence of Christ that Paul says ultimately is our home. Where my life is going as a follower of Jesus is home and home is where Christ is. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We want to look together at verses 9 through 15, but we're going to give particular attention this morning to verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 9 to 15 where we find Paul offering a personal decision that he's made in view of the promise of God that he has for him a home. Paul writes and says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 9, So, whether we are at home in this physical body or away separated from it, but in the presence of the Lord Jesus, we make it our aim, Paul says, to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verse 14, Paul gives a second reason after a brief parenthetical statement in verses 11 to 13. He says, I live and I work as I do, aiming always to please Christ, Four, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised." Now, I want you to notice with me this morning that Paul's response to God's promise of a new home consists of a, a declaration, an explanation, and an affirmation. It is, uh, his response is the declaration of a new life's purpose. His response is an explanation of the motives that drive the declaration. And he ends with an affirmation of a new love that makes a new pleasure in this life possible. Now... 
For us, Paul's response brings three realities uh, before us that if we will grasp them, if we will keep them, will bring us great joy and great pleasure, not only in the future, but also in the here and now. Paul points us to this. He shows us, first of all, what the end of the journey home means. He moves then to show us what the end of the journey home brings. And then he concludes by showing us what the end of the journey home offers to us now. What it means, what it brings, and what it offers now. I want us to spend our time this morning looking together at what the end of the journey home actually means. Look with me at verse 9. Paul says, so regardless whether we are at home in this physical body or away from it, separated from the body, but also present with the Lord. Remember, he said, to be absent from the body is to be present or at home with the Lord. He says, regardless of, of where we are, we make it our aim to please him. So what Paul is doing here is he's making a bold declaration of his life's central purpose. Regardless of the condition, regardless of the situation that he finds himself in here or there, because of God's great promise, he says, I make it my aim to please only Christ. Now, I want you to see with me that this simple statement is remarkable for two reasons. First, it's remarkable because Paul means it and he actually lives by it. Paul declares that he's chosen to strive eagerly and gladly for this one thing, pleasing Christ. His life's intention is that in all things and in every way, he will bring pleasure to the heart of Jesus. Now, it's important for us just to jump ahead just for a quick second and look at the end of verse 15 because there's something he realizes there. He says, you know what? Christ died for all so that all who, might, all who live might live their lives not for themselves any longer but for him. My life's intention is that in all things and in every way, I will bring pleasure to the heart of Jesus. Now, the word used here in the original language, to please, means to give delight, to give satisfaction to another, while at the same time gaining that person's acceptance and approval and commendation. And so Paul is saying, whatever my condition or situation, whether I'm at home in this body or away from it in the presence of Christ himself, my only ambition now is to live delighting Christ, only Christ, not myself, not others, Jesus. I've decided to live earnestly pursuing his acceptance, his approval, his commendation for all that I am and all that I do. My aim, Paul says, is to delight him. I don't want to disappoint him. I want to delight him. I don't want to disappoint him. Now, does this surprise you? Perhaps it does. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, but Paul, 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 uh, have you not read the book of Romans? You wrote it. Paul, I don't understand. Uh, You already have God's acceptance. 
You already have God's approval. You already have God's commendation because of Christ. You yourself have been justified by God's grace through faith, and Christ's righteousness has become yours. You already have these things. What what do you mean? What do you mean? You're striving to aim to please him. I can just hear Paul saying back to you, ah, what you say is true. My status is secure before God in Christ, and it will never change. I am his adopted son. I have been accepted. I've been approved. I've been commended in Christ because of my union with Christ. I've been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's all true, but but you misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that my purpose in pleasing Christ is to earn my way to God's heaven and new earth. I'm I'm not saying that I'm, I'm doing these things to earn salvation. What I am saying is this. My purpose in pleasing Christ is not so that I will be in his presence. My purpose in pleasing Christ is because I'm heading into his presence. Watch this, watch this. No one has given me greater joy than Jesus. And there is absolutely nothing I can do to repay him for what he's done for me. How do you repay a cross? How do you repay bearing all of my sins. I can't repay that. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can't pay him back, but I can bring joy to his heart. And that's what I want to do with the rest of this life that he has won for me and given to me. I want to make my Savior smile. I want to give him joy. This brings us to a second reason why this statement, we make it our aim to please him, is so remarkable. This statement is profound because of what it actually tells us about God. Paul can bring Jesus pleasure because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is a God who can be pleased. I want you to notice with me that Paul's ambition, his life's ambition is not to see if he can please God, but rather his life's ambition is to be pleasing to God. 
And this implies that pleasing God is something Paul can do because this is the kind of God God is. Indeed, the New Testament makes it clear that, that God takes great pleasure in the obedience of his children. And when God's children obey him with faith, he is pleased with them, delighted with them, given joy. And so while the New Testament is, is emphatic that we can't be justified before God and be saved on the basis of our good works, on the other hand, the New Testament authors frequently insist that good works done in obedience and done with faith are absolutely vital for the Christian life. For by them, watch this, we bless the heart of God. Be very careful with any teacher who tries to teach you that you should obey God by faith so that he might bless you. I want to say to you that the first reason you should obey God, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you should obey God by faith is not so he would bless you, but so that you might bless him. God is not a divine ATM machine. You punch in the right numbers and you get money back out. God is a living, eternal person who has chosen to find his delight in the obedience of his children. You and I, we can make God smile. We can bring him joy. We can bring him delight. That is why Paul calls on believers, for example, in 1 Timothy 6, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. It's why Paul reminds Titus to remind believers that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Good works done God's way. Blesses, delights, satisfies God's heart. And so the New Testament calls on followers of Jesus to do those kinds of things as they live out their lives here on their way home that will result in God's good pleasure. It says things like Ephesians 5, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It says in Ephesians again, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In Colossians 3, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. 1 Timothy 2, grateful prayer is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. 1 Timothy 5, if a widower has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. 
Hebrews 13, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God can be pleased. Loved ones, loved ones, when we celebrate the fact that God is the same yesterday and today and forever, we are in part celebrating that the God and Father of Jesus can be pleased with us and that we can be sure that what pleased him yesterday will please him today and what pleases him today will please him tomorrow. He is not like us. Can I say this again? He is not like us. He is not moody. He is not changing. He is not unstable. He is not unsatisfiable. He is not your irascible father or your irascible mother for whom you could never, ever do anything right. That is not who your heavenly father is. He can be pleased with what you do. You can win his smile. He finds joy in his children. And this is so much like him. I love this. Not only does he find joy in his children, and he, and he calls us to, to, to please him with a promise that he can be pleased, but watch this, watch this. He not only does that, but he goes on and he helps us to please him. The scripture says, for example, in Philippians 2, God works in us to work for his good pleasure. He, he is providing and has provided everything we need to please him. Have you ever had someone who made high demands on you but did nothing to help you accomplish them? So defeating, so discouraging. <laughs> I love the way the author to the Hebrews prays. He says, may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. As he works in us, listen, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Not only can he be pleased, and not only does he work to help us please him, but everyone who lives their lives seeking to please him with the power and ability he gives in Jesus makes an extraordinary discovery. Some of them are whispering back to me. That's good. Okay. Here's the discovery they make. You ready? Pleasing God by faith and obedience results in experiencing his joy in us as joy. 
Hang on, hang on. You say, I'm not, I'm not getting that. That's okay. We're going to get there. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Listen, listen. Not only does the New Testament assume that believers will want God to be pleased with them, the New Testament also shows us that believers, listen, here it is, believers are most pleased in life when they know God is pleased with them. Indeed, this is where our real joy comes from. This was where Jesus' joy came from. In John 15, 9 to 11, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. Stay in my fellowship. Okay, watch now. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. Then he says, this is the clincher. Are you ready? Here it comes, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And when my joy is in you, then your joy will be full. Okay, let me drill it down for you. We are most pleased with life when God is pleased with us. When you know you have the Father's smile, you have realized the point of life. Do you know if you're a follower of Jesus when you're most miserable? It is when you're living to please somebody else or when you're living to please yourself or when you're living in such a way that there is sin unconfessed in your life And God, rather than being pleased with you, is disappointed with you. That's when you become radically disappointed with life. But when you know the Father is smiling on you, there is no greater joy in all the earth. There isn't a new car that can make me happy. There isn't an increase in pay that can make me happy. Let's just be honest. There isn't a person on this planet who can make me happy. You can't make me happy. If you try to please me, there's no end to what I'm going to want. You say, you're awful. Yeah, I'm just like you. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Don't look at me that way. We're all from the same family. We all got the same DNA. We are unpleasable. Am I right? Maybe.
I can't please me, you can't please me, but I'll tell you what, Jesus can, and Jesus does. And when he is pleased with me, that is where I find my greatest pleasure. All right, I'm giving you the good news. Now I've got to give you a little bad news. I'm sorry. It just, it's my job. It's in my job description. I think it's Roman numeral three, part six. In the contract I have with the church, I have to give you bad news. You ready? I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I have to do this. Here it comes. There is something else I have to say. The same God who loves us so much and can be pleased with our obedience is also the God who can love us deeply and at the same time be deeply disappointed with our disobedience. The scripture says his spirit can be deeply grieved by our sin. And our Disobedience brings not only his disappointment, but also his discipline. And loved ones, that is why 1 John 1.9 is a verse that is held so closely by so many believers it is because this is the verse that gives us such hope. Because when I begin to realize that my true pleasure is only found in God's taking pleasure in me, when I've disappointed him and I've disobeyed him, I need to know there is a way for me to please him again. And so just to hear the words that if we will confess our sin, this Father who can be pleased, who wants to be pleased, is able and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, just to hear that, just to know that, gives me great hope because there are times when I fall down. There are times when I mess up and I don't know of any worse place to be than to be a child of God, deeply loved, who has lost his smile. There is nothing worse for a believer than having God's love but losing his smile. Can I ask you a question?
How's your joy been lately? How's your joy been? Has it been uh, full and overflowing lately? Has uh, COVID stolen some of it from you? Maybe you've lost a job and there's been no chance of joy for you. Maybe you've been living with incredible worry that you would lose your job. Maybe you have someone you love. Who has disappointed you? I, I don't know. Maybe you, you've realized in this eight months we've been away that your, uh, your commitment to Christ has been just a little tepid and you didn't really know why, but now that you've had, you've stepped away, you've, you've gotten kind of a sense of some. Some sin God has been dealing with in your life and, 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 and you kept trying to cover it up with church attendance and, and doing some good stuff that never really seemed somehow to make things right. Maybe you've invested your joy in another person or in some accomplishment and truth be told, you've been living pretty defeated. I can diagnose it for you really quickly. Here it is. Somewhere along the way, you made the decision, if you're a follower of Jesus, to live your life pleasing someone else or pleasing yourself. And you simply learned a lesson all over again. You can't do it. If you abandon pleasing your father, you have abandoned all real pleasure and joy. So let me ask you this question. What is it going to take? Hey, I don't, I don't really have to make this case with you because the vast majority of you know this. What more can God do for you than he's already done in Jesus? I mean, I mean what else are you wanting from him? Well, 
He literally has given you everything, and he's the God of the universe. Now, how is it that somehow pleasing him has been abandoned for trying to find pleasure somewhere else? Can't be done. Can't be found. And I want you to see on this Sunday morning, I want you to see the sovereign Lord of this universe, the great and awesome God, maker of heaven and earth. He loves you. And he wants nothing more, nothing better than to smile on your marriage, your family, your work, your business. On you. There is no greater joy for him than seeing you walk in obedience and faith following Christ. So, with heads bowed and eyes closed all across the room, What is God's Spirit saying to you right here and right now? Where have you been looking for joy? If it's anywhere but Jesus, I'm calling you today. Let it go. Give it up. Come back to Christ. Father, hear our prayer. O God, who can be pleased and who longs to be pleased with his children by your Holy Spirit with your word before us convict our hearts and our minds and cause us to see in fresh ways the power of living and walking with your smile on our lives. Where there is sin, bring repentance, Lord God, and confession. And open our hearts to make them willing and ready to receive the forgiveness that only you can give. 
We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 My, it's been good to be in God's house. Y'all are so much better than that videographer. No, she's, she's great. She's great. She just has little work to do with Jesus, but beyond that. One aim. Please him. And you will find yourself more than pleased. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.